The reading is taken from the first book of Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, for though now a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The second reading continues in 1 Peter from 10 to 16. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. We will now uh, finish reading the first chapter of 1 Peter, starting at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, 
Love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Hope. Where would we be without it? Hope's been defined as a fundamental condition of human living. That's putting it quite strongly. A fundamental condition of human living. Yet according to the Dictionary of Pastoral Care, and I quote, humanity is the only species capable of imagining the future. But because it can only be imagined and not known, the future is enigmatic and is often more threatening than inviting. When convinced that their future is wholly empty or bleak, human beings may lose their will to endure even the present. Conversely, pain and adversity are regularly tolerated in expectation of a future worth waiting and struggling for. This instinctive ability to transcend the limitations of the immediate environment, to be open to further possibilities, is hope. Philosophers, anthropologists, doctors have all recognised its universality and the dignity, courage and creativity with which it equips human beings to deal with negative experience. Hope for the future transforms the present. And that's the theme of the first chapter in Peter's first letter. Because what the opening part of this letter is all about is giving people hope. Giving people in present adversity the strength they need to hold on and get through the present because the future is worth hanging on for. It's there right at the start of the letter. After the introductions there is an exclamation of praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The people he was writing to needed to be reminded of that hope so that they could cope with the adverse circumstances in which they found themselves. Because here and now, their situation was one of suffering, grief and all kinds of trials. Life in the present was not going well. What was going wrong? They were the victims of discrimination. They were suffering oppression at the margins of society. Why was that the case? Well, they were out of step with everybody else. In a culture which prized loyalty to the Roman Empire and in which devotion to Caesar as Lord was the expected norm, Christians were misfits. They dug their heels in. They went in the opposite direction to everybody else. They were identified and labelled as social deviants. That's why Peter describes them as strangers in the world, scattered throughout the region of Asia Minor. They were people who didn't belong, and that was hard. And what they were suffering, they were suffering as a direct result of their faith. Belonging to God, being insiders as far as salvation was concerned, meant that they were outsiders as far as the world was concerned. 
Miroslav Volf puts it well, Christians don't come into their own social world from the outside seeking either to accommodate it to their new home, like second-generation immigrants would, or shape it in the image of the one they left behind, like colonizers would, or establish a little haven in the strange new world reminiscent of the old as resident aliens would. They're not outsiders who either seek to become insiders or who maintain strenuously the status of outsiders. Christians are the insiders who have diverted from their culture by being born again. Once they belonged, but they didn't belong to God. Now they belong to God, they don't belong in society anymore. Outsiders as a direct result of their decision to follow Jesus. And what Peter is about here is showing his readers that Jesus is worth it. He wants them to expand their horizons, change their frame of reference, because there's more to life than what they are going through at the moment. The harsh realities of life are real, but they are ephemeral. Whereas the inheritance that is kept in heaven for them, well, that's imperishable. That's undefiled. That's permanent. Well worth hanging on in there for to attain. And the whole solid basis of their hope is nothing less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is God putting a stake in the ground and declaring that the status quo will be overturned. Because God has raised Jesus from the dead and given him glory. The future is God's. God's kingdom is assured. The hope is guaranteed because Jesus is risen. Above and beyond what is seen and experienced in the immediate present, Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord. The day will come when he will be revealed in his glory and then those who belong to him will share in his glory and his praise and his honour. So what matters is not so much how things are going now because things now are going badly. What matters is how things will turn out in the end. And the Christian faith gives us confidence that what we see and experience now is not the be-all and end-all. We have a living hope for the future. And that's not just a matter of blind, wishful thinking. It's a hope that's grounded in the reality of Jesus risen from the dead and exalted to the right hand of God as Lord. That's the basis on which we live our lives. That's what we take our stand on. That is the basis for our hope for the future. And what keeps us going through the present is faith. And that is a faith that is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. That's the basis for what we believe. It's not that the resurrection of Jesus somehow becomes real if we manage to scrape together just enough faith to believe that it really happened. We believe because God raised Jesus from the dead. If there were no resurrection, we would have no reason to believe in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus dead and buried and left in the tomb Where's the basis for faith or hope in that respect? But because God overturned the status quo, because God raised his son from the dead, that is why we put our faith in God. 
We respond to what Jesus has done. We don't somehow create a sense of it going to be all right because we we want to believe that this has happened. We respond to God's decisive act of salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that is the basis for our faith. Raising Jesus from the dead is what God has done. Putting our faith in him is our response to what God has done. And it's our faith that carries us through the trials of the present into the future that God has prepared and guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus. So don't underestimate the value of your faith. It's easy to think, oh, what's, what's the point sometimes? You know, how important are we as Christians? How significant are we? How much does it matter, this business of coming to church and believing in Jesus? Is it really worth it? Yes, it is. Peter says that your faith is more precious than gold. The most valuable thing known in the ancient world pales into insignificance compared to the value of the faith that you have. Really? What could be more important than money in the bank, particularly when wealth is the key to attaining security, status and honour? But only in the short term. Writing to those who are marginalised in society, Peter says, your faith, your faith is the key to securing eternal praise. Your faith will be the key to getting glory and honour from God himself, the highest authority in the universe. And to those who may have lost out financially because they were Christians, Peter says, look, your faith is far more valuable than anything you may have given up or lost out on because you're followers of Jesus. In a situation where life was hard and they were extremely vulnerable, Peter says, look, it's your faith that guarantees divine protection for you. You are shielded by faith. You are kept safe by faith until such time as your future salvation is finally revealed. Whatever happens, your final salvation is assured. And it's your faith that will get you there to the end because your faith is in the God and Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And if you belong to him, he will raise you with Christ as well. The final outcome of your faith will be the salvation of your lives, here and now, and for eternity then. So even in the midst of adversity and difficulty, Peter says to his readers, you can know an inexpressible and glorious joy that defies your circumstances. Why? Because their lives weren't orientated around the material goods and the cultural privileges from which they were excluded. Their lives were orientated around Jesus Christ. And if Jesus was at the centre of their lives... That would bring them through everything else and bring them through into glory. They can't see Jesus, the one who is the object of their faith, but they know him to be their Lord and Saviour. And because of that, Peter says, you rejoice with a great and inexpressible joy. Because of Jesus, they had a future worth waiting for, they had a future worth struggling for, because he is the basis of their hope. A hope that enables them to transcend their circumstances. A hope that enables them to stand firm through their trials. A hope that enables them to dismiss and defy those who rubbish them and say they have no consequence or of no account at all. The future is far from being empty and bleak. Because they have Jesus 
they have a hope. And that hope carries them through. And that makes a difference to how they live. Because as people who face the future with faith and confidence, Peter says, set your hope completely on the grace that will be yours when Jesus Christ is revealed. Here and now, be self-controlled. Gird up the loins of your minds so that you will be ready for action. Because there's no going back. The pressure on them was to give up to let go of their faith, to blend in, to conform to the rest of society, to lapse back into their old way of life so they're no longer stuck out like a sore thumb. But Peter looks to distance his readers from their immediate past. He says that was a time of ignorance for you. It was an empty way of life that you inherited from your parents. Compared with the future that God has prepared for you, when you look over your shoulder... There is nothing of comparable value behind you. Don't abandon the fantastic future that is yours through Christ just to lapse back into an empty and ignorant way of life that sometimes you hanker after when you feel a bit low. The past holds nothing of value or importance for you. God has prepared a future for you that is worth persevering for. And that past... God has redeemed you from everything in the past through nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. To set your heart on going back to that accumulated silver and gold would be to deny the value and the cost of the salvation that Christ had secured for them. God's plan of salvation dates back to before the creation of the world. It's a measure of our value in his sight that we've been redeemed with nothing less Valuable, significant, important than the blood of Christ who gave his life for you so that you could have eternal life. You don't just turn your back on something as precious or as valuable as that. Though we may be strangers in the world, though we may not find that we belong, though there may be no secure relation, no lo- though there may be no secure location for us in the social order where we really feel that I fit in here. In the eyes of God, you are elect. You've been chosen. You've been called. God claims you as his own and you are infinitely precious to him. Take your sense of identity. Take your sense of worth. Take your sense of value from the way in which God gave his son to redeem you and call you his own. From eternity, that was his plan and purpose. For eternity, you have been redeemed. Don't lapse back into the immediate past. Keep going forward into the future that God has prepared. Be people of hope. Be people of the future. And with the privilege of having been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ comes responsibility. Because as the God who called us is holy, so we are called to be holy in everything that we do. God says, be holy, because I am holy. It's the family likeness, if you like. At least, that's what the NIV says. Other versions, perhaps more optimistically, say, you will be holy, because I am holy. The NIV says, be holy, because I'm holy. Others say, you will be holy, because I am holy. And actually, that future is the better translation. Some people read the future as if it were an imperative. 
God says, you will be holy because I'm holy. Well, maybe so. But in actual fact, God's gift to us of the Holy Spirit means that God enables and gives what he commands. God says, yes, you must be holy because I'm holy. But when God gives us the Spirit, he says, you will be holy because I'm holy. We can't make ourselves holy. It's not within our capacity or ability. It takes God to do that in us and for us. And God has done that in us and for us because he's given us his Holy Spirit, who's made us holy, who's made our bodies the temple of the living God. We are sanctified because God lives in us by his Spirit. Now, as people who are holy, there's a requirement on us to to be holy in all that we do, but equally, that is God's enabling. God makes us holy by calling us his people and by pouring his spirit into our hearts. It's his spirit who enables us to live out that calling in practice so that we bear the family likeness. So that we live as people who belong to God. So that we are holy in an unholy world. But that does mean putting Jesus at the centre. That does mean orientating our lives around God, his standards, his will, his kingdom, rather than conforming to the expectations and values of the society in which we live. We belong to God. That means we won't quite fit with the rest of the world. But belonging to God is more important and more valuable than that. And the price we pay is worth it. At the men's pub group on Tuesday, we talked about whether the world would notice if Brighton Baptist Church ceased to exist. And we came up with two different answers, I think, if my memory serves me right. If, if services were no longer held in this building and it became a carpet warehouse or something like that, people would think, oh, there used to be a church there and they'd miss some of the activities that we run, but, but they'd adjust, life would go on. You know, it would would be a a building. It used to be a church there a few years ago, but it's gone now, and life's okay. But if the people who made up Brighton Baptist Church disappeared, what would be the impact of that on our community and on our town? What difference would it make if there were no Christians doing all the things that Christians do Monday to Friday? Serving our community, engaging with people, being active, making a difference in that respect, that would leave the town impoverished. Because the focus actually isn't about what we do here on a Sunday, although that, that's a vital part of, of, of who we are as a church, but the fo- we make a difference actually by what we do outside of these four walls. That's where the impact takes place. That's where the difference is made. The real impact of who we are as God's people, takes place outside of a church service. And the reason we come here once or twice a week on a Sunday is so that we can be equipped with what we need to make an impact outside of the church service the other six days of the week. Churches sometimes are a bit like hoovers. They kind of suck everybody and everything in. Whereas God's vision of the church actually is sending people out. Scientists will know the difference between centripetal and centrifugal forces. Centripetal draws everything in. Centrifuges send everything out. God's desire is that church should be a centrifuge. That from being in here, we should be sent out into the world to live and work for God and make a difference out there. So that if we were no longer here anymore, 
people would notice. They might not miss the building and what happens to you on a Sunday morning, because never see what happens to you on a Sunday morning. But if we're not putting into practice what we hear here on a Sunday morning, Monday to Saturday, then that should make a negative impact on the society. We are called to be people who make a difference. And we can only make that difference if we are holy, if there is that distinctive quality about us. If we're like everybody else, there is nothing about us that is going to make an impact or an impression on society. But if we are holy, if we are set apart from God, if we are living as people who belong to God, then that will make an impression. That quality of sticking out like a sore thumb sometimes makes life hard for us. But equally, it's that quality of being different that enables us to make, us, enables us to make a difference on the lives of people we encounter. In a world where morality is flexible, shall we say, we are called to be people who live lives of holiness. In a world of increasing isolation and loneliness, we are called to be people of sacrificial, practical love. In a world marked by anger, we are called to be people of forgiveness. In a world which doesn't believe in God, We're called to be people of faith. In a world which values people by their material wealth and prosperity, we're called to proclaim that every individual is infinitely valuable because they're loved by God and Jesus Christ died for them. In a world where people find that having money in the bank doesn't necessarily make them happy, we are called to be people of joy. And in a world which views the future with trepidation, or which buries its head in the sand, we are called to be people of hope. We are the church. That's nothing to be ashamed of. In the words of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 from the CEV, God the Father decided to choose you as his people, and his Spirit has made you holy. You have obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ and are sprinkled with his blood. We are people who belong to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are bound to God by an eternal covenant. And the greatest love of all, the love of Jesus, is yours for all eternity. Let that give you the hope that you need to live all your life for him. Here and now, and for eternity. Amen.